So as I was studying for this talk, it was almost comical to me that as I was reading it, there was this line, do not be anxious about anything. You know, oftentimes when a speaker is asked to talk on a specific subject, um, God uses that in their own lives to teach them something, which is why I don't like to speak about forgiveness, because then I know God's going to tell me I need to forgive someone, and I, I don't want to. Um, but don't be anxious about anything. How is that even possible? Anxiety seems like an everyday emotion that we all experience at varying levels. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you guys deal with anxiety? There's a wide range of things to be anxious about, from work, money, relationships, lack of relationship, family, the future, a country, the world. It's fair to say that we have cause to be anxious. And if I made you anxious right now by talking about it so much, I'm very sorry, it will get better. But tonight, I want to talk about what Paul has to say about anxiety and how we're supposed to live with that. But first, I want to point out something at the beginning of chapter 4. So over the last few weeks, you've heard from Adam and Kyle as they told us that Philippians isn't a book. It's actually a letter. And it's a letter that Paul wrote from prison, so like the worst circumstances possible. And we get a lot of personal touches of this letter in this section. Here, Paul is just talking to his friends. So in verse 2 and 3, he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now poor Euodia and Syntyche were in a fight and got called out in front of their whole church. And now their fight is in the Bible. I mean, I guess if you're going to fight with someone, might as well make it biblical and have it in there forever. But also, that must have been, I would have been so embarrassed. Imagine if Adam or Mark came up here before, like during the announcements and said, hey, you need to stop fighting with this person. Not a good way to go. But whatever. That's how Paul was talking to his friends. So we're going to keep on reading, and we're going to read a, a couple of really big sections of Philippians 4 and some in Matthew, and I'm going to read them over a lot because I think God's Word uh, is enough on its own, and I want you guys to hear that more than anything else. So in Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's in the final sections of his letter, and he has a few things he wants to tell them as he wraps up. And he starts with this, rejoice in the Lord always. So as we said before, there's a lot to be anxious and bummed about. It was true for them back then. It's true for us now. But Despite that all, Paul says rejoice. And what he really wants them to do is to celebrate. 
N.T. Wright, who's a super smart guy, wrote about it, and he says, often the word here is translated rejoice. And we normally understand that word today, I think, as meaning something that happens inside people, a sense of joy welling up and making them happy from within. All that is important and contained within Paul's command, but, it is, but in his world and culture, rejoicing would have meant what we would call public celebration. The world all around, in Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth and elsewhere, used to organize great festivals and games and shows to celebrate their gods and their cities, not least, the, not least of all the new god, Caesar himself. Why shouldn't the followers of King Jesus celebrate exuberantly? It is only right, and celebrating Jesus as Lord encourages and strengthens loyalty and obedience to him. So he's saying when we celebrate Jesus, it builds our relationship with him. One of my favorite things that we celebrate as Christians is baptisms. So this past year for Easter up at South City, I got to baptize three people, which was so incredible. And every time I baptize somebody, or even when I'm just watching baptisms and we're celebrating what God has done in a person's life, it, I mean, I'm crying most of the time, and I feel this like sense of joy, like God is close. It's, it's awesome, and it builds my relationship with him. And the same is true of our personal relationships. Like when you celebrate an anniversary from a relationship you're in, you get to look back at where you've been, where you're at now, and you're celebrating that you're still together. And it builds your relationship as you celebrate. Paul is telling them, before he gets to anxiety and all that, to celebrate Jesus. Celebrate what he's done in your life. Celebrate that he is Lord. We talk a lot about spiritual formation here at Menlo, and when we do that, we talk about spiritual disciplines, and the disciplines that get the most airtime are like solitude and silence and reading your Bible, which are great, but sometimes don't feel as fun. Um, but guess what else is a, a spiritual discipline? Celebration. And so as Ecclesiastes and a popular old rock folk song says, there's a season for everything. And so there's a season for quiet reflection, and there's a season to party. So when was the last time you celebrated Jesus? And if you want to celebrate Jesus and don't know how, how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us that in the next few verses. We're going to read this again. It says in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is how to celebrate the Lord. I know it doesn't look like a big, a good checklist for a party, but maybe there's a new way to celebrate it. N.T. Wright, who I mentioned before, uh, explained it this way. He says, three main things come up in the line of celebration, if the line of celebration is both joyful and gentle, and there are the prayers that overcome anxiety, the patterns of thought which celebrate God's goodness throughout creation, and the style of life which embodies the gospel. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time tonight talking about those three things. So first, prayer that overcomes anxiety. 
So we're back to where we started, anxiety. And Paul is giving the Philippians a command to not be anxious. This is not a suggestion or a hopeful mantra. It's a command. He isn't metaphorically rubbing their back saying, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. It'll all work out. He's just telling them not to be anxious. Like, don't lie, which seems very unhelpful. Things in life are hard, and how am I just supposed to stop being anxious? Well, Paul says with prayer, he says to pray about everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Sounds like another verse in the Bible, actually something Jesus talked about on his Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew, when he's talking to the crowds, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, do not be anxious. And to prove that Jesus means it, that we can live not anxious, he talks about the ways he cares for animals and creation, nature. Flowers don't work hard or worry about rent. They're just flowers and God takes care of them. When I was in college, I was really starting to deal with anxiety and I would worry all the time. And my, I remember my, my mom one day pointing these verses out to me. So then I knew in the future when I was getting super anxious and worried, I could just go back to these verses and remember what God has done. So when you're having trouble with this and you start to feel anxious, stop and remember. Remember that God has promised what he has promised and how he takes care of our world. Remember what he's done for you. And as you look back, you'll see the ways God has taken care of you. So pray for everything, even if you think it's silly, and remember what he's done. So when I was in junior high, we called it junior high where I was from, not middle school. Um, I was a cheerleader. It was a very long time ago. And I remember one morning I was getting ready for school. It was a game day and we had to wear uniforms all day. And we had specific bows for our hair that we had to wear for specific uniforms. It was a whole thing. And I remember one day I could not find my bow. And I was freaking out. 13-year-old Elise was like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? I cannot find this bow. And so I did what I, I, I didn't know what to do. I had looked everywhere, so I prayed about it. And I remember thinking, like, I'm sure Jesus has way more important things to worry about, but I've looked everywhere, and i got to find this bow. God doesn't only want our big and important prayers. He isn't listening to the serious prayers only. He isn't only listening to the eloquent and important prayers. 
Paul is saying, pray for everything. God wants to know what's in your heart. He wants to know what you want. He wants to know what, he need, what you need. And if it matters to you, it matters to God. Even something as simple and silly as my bow for my hair. And then, after praying, be thankful. Thankfulness is a cure uh, for most things. And learning to be grateful for what God gives you is a wonderful way to get rid of anxiety. A little later on in the same chapter, Paul talks about learning to be content in plenty and in need. And that he can have whatever's that, and he'll be content. Gratitude chases away anxiety and gives you the best protection. And if we do that, God's peace will guard our heart and our mind from more anxiety. A real simple way to remember this, one commentator said, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything. Now, before I go on, I want to talk, I want to take a moment to talk about those of us who deal with some mental health problems, specifically anxiety disorders. Um, for those of you who are in the room and you struggle with anxiety disorder, I can imagine you're feeling a little tense or uncomfortable with how Paul's words sound. Like it's so simple not to have anxiety. But I want you to know, if you have an anxiety disorder, it does not mean you are not doing the Christian life right. It means that you're sick like someone with diabetes or a broken bone. I myself have been diagnosed clinically depressed. And for years and years, people told me just to choose joy or, that, or just to be happy or that I wasn't trusting Jesus enough or other Christian crap like that. <laughs> and it was so frustrating. It was discouraging. And my therapist, who is amazing, and all of you guys should be in therapy seeing somebody, um, one day told me to my face, you have a disability. You have an illness. And it was jarring, and I was kind of mad at her for the way she said that. But the bottom line is, I have a sickness in my brain. My brain chemicals don't work right, and I need to take medicine, and I need to do therapy. And anxiety is similar in that it's a disorder that can be treated. Now, with an anxiety disorder, it can have an impact on your spiritual life, just like someone without an anxiety disorder. But the bottom line, the thing I really need you all to hear is that you're not a bad Christian if you have an anxiety disorder. It's not that you're not having enough faith if you take medicine. God uses medicine to heal all kinds of sicknesses and, and illnesses, and we can take medicine for our mental health. So if you think you might struggle with an anxiety disorder, talk to your doctor. Talk to Adam and Mark. And while you're doing that, Pray, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything. And anxious for nothing will come later as you get healthy. The next step in our celebrations is um, the patterns of thought which celebrate God's goodness throughout creation. We need to focus our mind on God's goodness, and Paul provides us with a very thorough list of things we can think about. So he says, whatever is true, this is verse 8, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
We need to let our minds settle on things like when people get to know Jesus for the first time, or a beautiful day, or love between friendships. And this doesn't mean that we should hide away from all the annoying, hard things in this world. Um, we just don't need to focus on it so much. We, I don't want you to focus on it so much that it gives you more anxiety. But learn about what's happening in this world. Learn what's happening in your friends' lives. And pray about it, because we're praying about everything. And trust that God will work in some way. And maybe you'll be called into action to right or wrong. Maybe God will use you in a bad situation. Maybe you will get to write injustices in other people's lives. But as you go through that, stay connected to God and look for him. So what's true in your life? Where do you experience honor? Where is justice? What is something pure in your life? Do you have lovely things around what in your life deserves admiration? Where do you see excellence? What is praiseworthy on, in your life? Those are what things that we should be thinking about. So where do you need to work on your thought life to align with God and his goodness? Is it work stuff? Maybe what you read in the news? Maybe it's relational problems or good old-fashioned negative self-talk? Ask God, pray about everything to help you with your thought life to reflect his goodness. And the last part of our celebration is living a life that embodies the gospel. Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul spent a lot of time with these people and he's saying, um, follow me as I follow Jesus. Do what I do, which is really crazy. Paul lived in such a way that honored Jesus and the gospel enough to be their real life living example. It's a lot of pressure for Paul, but it's really great. So what does that mean? What does living that way mean? Well, it's the things that we've heard the last few weeks. It's following Jesus' words to love your neighbor. It's using your life and what you do to honor God everywhere all the time. And it's a tall order, but it's what God's calling us to do, to live the grace and forgiveness God gave us on the cross. Paul says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice living without anxiety, praying for everything, and being thankful for anything. Practice putting your mind on God's goodness and not getting lost in the crap of this world. Practice living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, forgiving like Jesus, and honoring God like Jesus. And when you do all that, you get the God of peace. Earlier in verse 7, Paul says that you will have the peace of God. The verse says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What is the peace of God? Charles Spurgeon says, what is God's peace? The unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the internal, eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. Imagine living life totally unruffled, infinitely happy, and well-contented. 
when I was um, in student ministry at the Menlo Park campus, I had a coworker who would tease me a lot, and he would always say I was so flustered all the time, and then he would take a Snapchat of me and write, so flustered right now, and then send it to all our friends, which was a little annoying, but... And I wasn't always that flustered. I mean, sometimes I was, but I lived a life that I got wound up super easy. How relaxing would it be to live unruffled all the time? Paul is telling them that they can have God's peace, but even more amazing, the God of peace will be with them through it all. When you remember how good God is and how he provides, it makes it easier to trust and not be anxious you can have peace. So look back. Hindsight is always 2020. And look back on your life and see where God took care of you, where he answered prayers in the best way. Maybe not your way, but the best way. Look how he's cared and loved for other people in your life. In big ways and small, he cares about you. I found that bow that I thought I lost. Um, for cheer. I don't remember where I found it, but I had it in time for the game, and so I didn't get in trouble. The crisis of my junior high life was avoided for that day. And I mentioned earlier that um, I have depression. And a few years ago, right when I started getting treatment, I was still in a really dark place um, with no hope at all. Life felt really muted. Uh, I felt raw and exposed all the time. I was always lonely because um, it felt like no one could step into my world with me and what I was feeling. And one Sunday afternoon, I didn't have anything for student ministry, so I was at home with nothing to do. And I remember I was sitting on my bed on a really hot day in Redwood City trying to watch something on Netflix to distract myself because the thoughts I had running through my mind were scary. I was at a low point, not my lowest, but close. And then I got a text from a friend to come over and play board games. I hadn't expected an invitation anywhere that afternoon, so I got myself up, I drove myself to Mountain View to play a game at my friend's apartment. I think we played Scrabble, which I'm horrible at. That friend had no idea what he was doing for me that day. He had no idea how God was using him to rescue me. Had he not texted, I probably would have had to drive myself to the emergency room that night. I was anxious, and I had horrible thoughts going through my head. And I was barely living. That text was a lifeline and a small way out. I look back and I see how God took care of me in a random moment when I was really, really depressed, and he took care of me with board games. So when I think I'll never be better or I'll never be happy like everyone else, when I get mad at myself for being depressed, when I think I have no hope, I remember a moment like that when God saved me and gave me peace even if just for one night. When I remember that, it's a little easier not, to not be anxious about what's happening right now. It's a little easier to think about God's goodness. It's a little easier to be thankful. And it's a little easier to live like the gospel. This doesn't mean life will, live, will be like living in a spa forever. 
It's not living away from the pain and suffering. It's living in our world with all the ups and downs and trusting God with it all. So rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Celebrate his goodness and mercy by being anxious for nothing, praying for everything, and being thankful for anything. Thinking about God's goodness and living like Jesus. You do all that, and you got yourself a holy party. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ways that you speak to us um, and the ways that you love us. God, I know there's people in this room dealing with anxiety and depression um, and not knowing how to move forward. And God, I pray that your presence be known to them. Lord, I pray that you bring people into life to encourage and support them and remind them of the ways that you love them. And God, for everyone else who just has regular old anxiety and doesn't know what to do next, God, I pray that you be real in their lives. And as they're praying about anything and everything, that you be communicating with them, that you be speaking with them and loving them. God, we're so grateful that you're a God that cares through the big things and small, that you love us and you want us to live a good life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.